Hello and welcome to the Ireland-Canada Connection, a podcast series that explores and celebrates the deep cultural, political and economic relationship between Ireland and Canada. This series is brought to you by the Ireland-Canada Business Association. I'm Patrick Hawhey, and on this episode, I hear the fascinating story of the original transatlantic cable connecting Ireland and Canada. This was a 3,000-mile-long cable running between County Kerry in Ireland and Newfoundland in Canada, which completely revolutionised the communications of the day. And this brought Europe and North America much closer together, thereby enhancing trade, diplomacy, culture and so much more. It was described at the time as a triumph of science and energy over time and space, and the impact it had can still be seen today. My guest on this episode is Leonard Hobbs. He is the chairperson of the Valencia Transatlantic Cable Foundation. Not only is Leonard incredibly informative about this transatlantic cable and what it meant for the world, but he also has a personal connection to this story, which makes him even more driven to keep this part of world history alive. Leonard kicks off the conversation by taking us back to the very start of this fascinating story. So back in... um it before it was before 1858, I think it was 1850 or the early 1850s. Um, the telegraph technology was just about transforming the world, but it was all land based. And uh, very much started actually because, because the, the railway lines that were starting to grow needed to be able to communicate. So you, so this, you knew what time the train was going to arrive um, or you knew what time. So trains didn't crash into each other. So there was a telegraph line. And today there's still lines along tele, along railway lines actually. But but, uh, but the, nobody had thought about connecting continents. Um, there was very small uh, cables that were connected across the English Channel. There was one from Ireland to the UK at the time, but nobody had thought about actually could could it be could it be done? Could you connect across 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 uh, the the ocean? And at that time, um, Canada and the U- and the US were two and a half weeks from Europe. So imagine that distance, that time lag between being able to communicate two and a half weeks. So um, anyway, along came a guy called Frederick Gisborne, who was a Canadian, and he had the idea that if he could run a cable from New York to Newfoundland, that he could shorten the time that, that, that a message could take to cross the Atlantic because the ship would pick the message up in Newfoundland and take it across the ocean. And he, and he was put in touch, he ran out of money, and he was put in touch with a fellow called Cyrus Field, who was a um, an entrepreneur in, in New York, a guy who'd made a lot of money in the paper industry, young man at the time in his 30s. And uh, story goes, he met him one night and said, look, would you, you, know, would you join me in fund this, this project to run the cable up to Newfoundland? And Cyrus Fields said, no, I'm not interested. And, and he left. And that night, Cyrus Fields looking at the globe and said, I wonder, could you, could you not connect the whole way? And um, so that's got Sarsfield got got going the project. And, he, and he's probably the hero of the, of the story, actually. He was certainly one of America's um, greatest entrepreneurs, albeit not really, not really known, but he was certainly one of the great entrepreneurs of the 1800s. So he got going. He got some investors together. It was an extraordinary expensive project. It cost him billions to, to do it at the time. Uh, but such was the uh, the interest in connecting New York to London that he got, he got support. He then found some other people who told him that it actually poss- it was possible because most people told him it wasn't. And of course, he wasn't a technical guy himself. Um, so he didn't know that he didn't know what he didn't know. And uh, so he, he, he drove on. And in 1858, they connected the first cable. Um, from 3,000 kilometers, one piece, one wire, 3,000 kilometers long, connecting from Valencia, County Kerry to uh, Newfoundland. Um, just, just uh, wasn't heart's content. I think it was 
Bull Arms, I think it was the first place it, it landed. Or Trinity Bay, I think it was the name of the way in Newfoundland where it landed the first time. That was 1858. The first message took a long time to get across. across, across. It took 18 minutes or something to, to, to communicate in one message. It took an awful long time. And fundamentally, they didn't understand what they were doing. The technology was very new. Uh, for those of you who might remember your physics in school, the ohm, which is a measure of resistance, wasn't even described at that time. So that's how far back this was. They didn't really understand electricity. Electricity had only been discovered. So the production of electricity had only been discovered by Faraday's film some decade before that. So it was really new at the time. Didn't understand what they were doing. And one of the... Um, um, one of the engineers, or one of actually wasn't even an engineer, he was a doctor turned technologist because at the time there wasn't there was no such thing as engineers, and he decided that to to um, to send the message faster, he would up the voltage uh, of the cable, and of course we know if we do that, you burn the cable. So he shorted out the cable, and the project collapsed. Um, and of course there was disgrace; people cried, cried foul. The American Civil War intervened. And uh, and the English, uh, the, the Sarah's Field was still on the case, went back to London, raised from more capital, got some more people involved. The British did it, did it, did the whole inquiry about it because, of course, millions had been lost and uh, redesigned the cable um, so that when they came back and tried it again in 1866, they had a much improved cable. Um, and um, uh, there was a guy called, a um, very famous scientist called Thompson, who went on to become Lord Kelvin. People will have heard of him, a Belfast man. He, he was very involved. And um, they redesigned the cable, and the 1866 cable took off again. The other thing as well that they did was was um, they found a big ship, because this was one piece. This 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 thing weighed tons, because it wasn't just a wire. It was it was a fortified wire with um, with steel wrapped around it and insulators and so forth. Uh, the company who made the cable actually had a um, had a patent on on the insulating material. I think called gutta percha. It's a form of rubber, um, and uh, so they they funded the, the the manufacture of the cable. Off they went anyway. They they needed a ship, and as luck would have happened, there was a ship that had been built specially to ferry passengers from the UK to Australia in one sailing called the Great Eastern, biggest ship of its day. Um, it was four times bigger than anything that had been built before. And uh, th- that particular business failed. So they picked up this, 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 the ship for a bit of for a song and converted it into a cable-laying ship called the Great, Great Eastern. First, the, the captain was a fellow called Halpin, an Irishman from Wicklow. Um, off it went and laid the cable, the 1866 cable, and they were a few ca- about 100 kilometers out from Canada and the cable broke. Oh, no. So not to be deterred, they went back again. And they still had enough cable left and had another go at it. And in 1868, they landed the cable in heart's content. And that was the first commercially viable cable. Um, they, they went back and found the 1866 one on the ocean floor and, and had a technique of actually grappling for it with a big hook, which I understand is still there today. They still use it today for cables and found that. So they now had two cables. Um, so an outward and inward one and, and hence started global communications as we, as we know it today. Uh, so today... Uh, what, what people would not be familiar with is that 99% of the internet is under the ocean still on fiber optic cables. So this time, this it was copper back in those days, now it's fiber optic. Um, so um, companies like Google and Facebook are actually getting involved in the business because uh, they want to have their own cables. But cables now run all over the world. Uh, but it all began 
with this very first one in 1880, as I say, the 18, 18, 1868 cable, the first successful, commercially successful cable connecting Canada to heart's content. And then from then on, it wasn't just the first connection, of course, there were many more improvements that were made to the technology because it was very raw at the time. And a lot of those innovations actually happened in, 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 in Valencia. Because uh, again, as you can recall, there wasn't big corporate labs in those days that were doing all the innovations. It was done locally. And a lot of the local improvements actually happened or were tested or developed in Valencia. So it was a real, Valencia at the time was, was you know, the center of global communications. Um, and uh, so there's incredible, um, incredible heritage there. That so sorry, incredible. long answer to your long answer to your story. Sorry, Patrick. Oh no, uh, that's, uh, you know, I appreciate it because it's such a fast, it's a really, genuinely fascinating story, a very well told. And I saw a great um, quote. I think it was from a, a telegraph from the Mayor of New York to the Lord Mayor of London around the time, and it says the Atlantic Cable introduced an era in the world's history pregnant with results beyond the conceptions of a finite mind, a triumph of science and energy over time and space. It's a very powerful statement. And everything you've just said, I guess, backs that up. It really was a paradigm shift in terms of what how things were done. Yeah. Well, the world suddenly, suddenly literally suddenly overnight became a very small place. Um, yeah. Because because remember, it wasn't just that cable. Then cables then were connected all over the world, um, crossed into Africa, in around to India, and over this was to Asia. The first, it was this the sort of this prototype, the first, so to speak? This was the Incredible. prototype, exactly, yeah. And the cable station in Valencia was the first of its kind. Many more cable stations were built then all over the world as well. In fact, the men, and they're all men, there was no women involved at the time, um, went moved from uh, from that cable station and went all over the world, setting up cable stations all over the world then. It was a very, it was a very manual process in those days. It was all people, literally the message would come in, they'd, they'd record it and they'd send it on. Um, it wasn't, you know, all, it, it was a while, much while later before automation came in and things were handled in, in an automatic way. It was very manual at the time. Um, so, but, but anyway, that's, that's, uh, that's what happened is it, it, it connected the world. So suddenly the world became a very flat place to the day where we have it today when it's, you know, instant, instant, communications instant, instantaneous now. But, um, but, it, but, it, but, but it enabled commerce um, it was a, it was a commercial, of course, who funded it. Uh, Reuters became more Reuters were going to create on the back of it because they were trading information along the cable. Um, there were banks, other companies involved. There's actually a bank called Brown Brothers Harriman that are they have a plan office here in Dublin, but they're based in New York. But they they uh, they to this day they're they'll tell you that the when they trade, I think when they're trading currency, it's called cables. They, they were involved at the very start. They actually funded the project at the start themselves. Um, and if indeed they're involved in the project, but it's their sponsor, they're one of our sponsors because they, they have the same history with, with the what the cable enabled their business, basically, because um, they could transfer information quickly. Um, so there was many things like that that spurred on because of, because of this uh, technology. You know, it connected stock exchanges together. That was its main driver, actually, at the time. So you could trade uh, um, stock market to stock market. No doubt that would, that would have benefited lots of companies. Um, that's something we're trying to do, actually, in Valencia at the moment. We're trying to connect um, Valencia to, to Canada. We had a we had an event there two weeks ago, and we had an entrepreneur from um, Canada speaking to an entrepreneur from Newfoundland, comparing notes. It's actually quite interesting. And the, the, the Newfoundland entrepreneur had 
that discovered seaweed bats during a holiday in West Cork during storm a storm a couple of months ago, a couple of years ago, went back and they now established a business in Canada. Small little example, you know, but, but what can happen when you connect ideas together? Yeah, and so know. basically the cable ran between Valencia Island and Newfoundland and then yeah. obviously there was connections from those two yeah. places onto the onto other the cities, the big cities, yeah. They had they the big the big um, economic centres really is where where the, yeah. where the action was at the time. So they connect the continents there. And was it, before I move on to talk about the, the foundation, was it, a, I'm, I, I imagine it was, but a commercial success because so much money went into it and there were some failures yep. along the way? Oh, it did indeed, yeah. I mean, the people who uh, who owned the cable, who owned the business, who owned the shares in the company said very well from it um, and, uh, and went on to become big companies and BT, the company BT can trace its roots to this project, to the very start of the project. The very first engine, one of the very first engineers his name won't come to me now, um, uh, was BT Engineer. Well, it wasn't called BT at the time, it was called something else, but but they can trace their, hist- their history to this to the start of this project. Uh, and there's many more examples like that where you can trace companies' history all the way back. Citibank were involved were involved at the start. They were owned the investors. Um, so there's there's lots of examples like that, that companies grew on. There's companies that became globally significant because of, of the technology. Yeah. So what is the Valencia Transatlantic Cable Foundation? So the foundation was put in place a few years ago to help with the um, primarily the UNESCO project that we have on uh, ongoing. So what what happened um, some years ago is a nice little story actually. This 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 is a lovely story about connections. You know, we're always connecting with interesting people and finding interesting people. But but um, and I have a theory for, as to why that is the case. But but anyway, a, a few years ago um, there was a a um, story goes there was a guy from New Zealand called Al Gillespie, professor from New Zealand, who was into um, he does international studies and stuff, but one of the things he does is UNESCO and UNESCO heritage sites is kind of one of his areas of expertise. And he's married to a woman from Kerry. And he's home, he's home in Kerry. He bumps into a lady called Mary Rose Stafford, who's um, works in, in the what was now called the most technological university. And he's talking to her. She's in the whole tourism space. And, and he's saying, and they're talking about UNESCO. And he said, you know, he said, you have this amazing project out the road in Valencia called the Valencia Transatlantic Cable. You should really develop that as a project. She goes off down to Valencia, meets the local community and says, look, we should really pursue this uh, this project, this, this UNESCO project. And they start, they started going, they started assessing it and trying to understand it. And it is quite a complex process when you get into it, the whole UNESCO process. But anyway, Al goes back to New Zealand and um, he's he's on, the call, on a Skype call one night and uh, this is before now Skype was sexy like it is now and we had teams and so on so it's a couple of years ago and he's on to a lady in, in Seattle who he's working with and this gentleman walks behind her on the camera and he, he says is that your husband? She said it is oh he said what's his name? he says it's Cyrus Field so it turns out it was Cyrus Field the fourth fourth generation Cyrus Field um, of the of the man who's who 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 uh, who drove the whole project, and suddenly we suddenly we'd found Cyrus Field the fourth. So he's come over, he's visited, and we've introduced him to the fourth night of the the the, uh, the night of Kerry because it was the night of Kerry. The, the hero on the Ireland side of it was the night of Kerry. He was a landowner um, on on Valencia, and he was the person who actually brought the cable to Valencia. Because if you think of it, now why did they? Well, we're often asked why did they bring the cable all the way from across the Atlantic and landed on an island off an island well, what are we at but it turns out that uh, Fitzgerald who was, a, who was a, who the Knight of Kerry was a land a major landowner on the island he was trying to do things for the people on the island so he he negotiated with the government to put the, the cable station on the island 
Um, so uh, so there. So if we and we brought those two characters together, the, the, the current Knight of Kerry and the current Sarsfield the Fourth, we've connected we've connected them up. Um, so anyway, so sorry back to your question with foundation. So that was the start of the project, and they were looking then to. Um, to, um, I guess, make it more of a national project, bring it more to a national kind of attention. So um, what happened was they went, they contacted um, the American Chamber and the then um, um, president of the chamber was a guy called Eamon Sinnott who was working for Intel. I was with Intel at the time. I was the public affairs manager. And Eamon came to me and said, Leonard, I've heard about this project. What do you, would you think we should be involved? And I said, what is it? He said, it's Valencia. I said, oh, geez. I said, I'd love to be involved because I have a personal connection to it. And uh, so I went off down to meet the locals. And when I left, I was chairman of the foundation. <laughs> so so <laughs> that, that's how the foundation started. That's, that's what happens, yeah. That's how the foundation started. So we've grown it. We've got some great participation in the foundation, including um, Kate, of course, Kate Hickey from the Karen Cannabis Association. We've got American Chamber, um, Martin Shanahan from IDA, uh, Mark Redmond from American Chamber, as I mentioned, BT, Shea Walsh, and many others um, who assist us and work indeed with Kerry County Council and bring it to kind of a national level. Um, this project because it is a project of national significance um, and that's helped a lot. We help with, fund, with fundraising, um, help bring attention to the project um, and um, and then work very closely with the local community. They have a, they have a development company down there. They're working very closely with them because essentially this is their project. So we support them. And what is the, so the the key driver is obviously to make it, uh, to be part of this UNESCO um, heritage site. So what what does that mean exactly? Well, being a UNESCO heritage site is a big deal. There's only we only have two in Ireland today in the Republic: um, Brina Boina, which I'm sure people will all be familiar with, and the Skelligs themselves, which is just off the coast actually of Valencia, uh, Skellig Michael. So that there are two uh, heritage sites. So it's it's uh, you know you join a list of of very few sites in the world that are considered of significant of this significance. So what's called they're of outstanding universal value. Um, and you know, as a nation, you're you're or a country, you're encouraged to preserve them, tell the story, uh, so that it's not this this particular site isn't lost. This the history of this thing isn't lost. In fact, we're not very good at Ireland in doing that. We have some amazing stories and sites around this country, and we just haven't really had the process to run them through UNESCO. But it, and it can take several years to get them there because you have to obviously bring the sites back to in really good condition. You have to have good visitors sent, good visitor uh, facilities, all that kind of stuff because you. It brings a huge amount of tourists. When you have a UNESCO site, people will come to see the UNESCO site. And if we reckon that we reckon we'll probably double the number of tourists and that will arrive to see it. And the beautiful thing about it is that if you're standing, there's a view actually in Valencia as you're standing on the Foilhammerman Bay, which is a bay on the west of the island where the boat, the great eastern boat sailed from. Um, and as as you're looking out the bay, you're looking at the Skelligs. So you so the the boat sailed out past the Skelligs, which is so 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 we literally have a a, a modern uh, a techno you know a, um, industrial revolution site in the presence of an ancient site UNESCO. So that's quite that'll be quite a thing when when we when we get to that point. Isn't that fascinating? And mm-hmm. there's there, this is a joint bid, is that right? So the 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 other the Newfoundland site is also going for the 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 Correct. This status yeah. as well. Yeah, we call it a transnational bid. And that's actually very exciting because Canada is already, uh, they're ahead of us with their cable station in terms of the process. Um, and um, they're also very good at doing UNESCO 
the, the Canadians have a process where once once or twice or twice a year or one maybe two projects a year they'll submit to UNESCO in Paris for consideration. So the so the, the Canadians are black belts at this at this process. Um, so to 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 do it with them is really exciting. Also it makes it a really exciting project that we're doing it with the community in Canada. You know, and the two communities are coming together to, to get to get it done together. And we've already had linkages with them. We've had link ups. We've done events with them. We signed an MOU between the two communities. We hope in a very, very short while to be in a position to encourage the Irish government to sign an MOU with the Canadian government to get this thing done. But uh, but I do hope that in the next number of years, as we as we travel this journey together, we'll be building stronger links because of the project. Because in fact, UNESCO makes you do that. You have to manage the boat sites like like as one site so we'll be we'll be doing lots of things together and not just heritage you know one of the our project in in, in valencia is actually a dual project and that where as well as bringing the cable station and other sites back to their 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 glory um or the what they used to look like we're also putting an innovation hub into the cable station um it's a very it's quite a large building and uh, we've got plans to put an innovation hub in there and it's 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 exciting because it was an a place of incredible innovation and we're going to bring it back now into the modern day version of that, which is an innovation or a digital hub. Um, and and again, I would hope that so the 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 interaction we have with Canada isn't just about heritage; it's also about innovation, and and creating the opportunities for people in both in both communities that will that will sustain those communities in the years ahead. Because as we all know rural communities across the world are really struggling. In fact, we had during the year, we had a great session um, organized actually for us by the Ireland Canada University Foundation. And uh, so again, calling out James for that was a great session where we had Zeta Cobb, who's this extraordinary Canadian entrepreneur that has taken an island called Fogo Island off Newfoundland and created this amazing hotel and community uh, that has really used their local everything they have locally you know all their local skills and knowledge and 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 um things to try to create something to replace their fishing industry which was their cod industry um but she's an extraordinary individual she she did a couple of workshops with us i hope she'll come over and visit us sometime but it's those kind of linkages but that i hope that will that will strengthen and build now so it won't just it'll be built on on the shoulders of heritage so to speak but but we'll, we'll connect the communities in in in, in a meaningful way in, in many different aspects um, one of my final questions, you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago that you have a personal connection to all of this. Mm. What is that? Yeah, my, my great-grandfather um, on the O'Sullivan side, so on my mother's side, uh, was one of the first young men that were hired by the cable station. So so the cable station essentially was, as I was saying to somebody last week, it was, it was Ireland's first multinational. Um, so it arrived, it was like a spaceship landing in the island. Um, well, it was a relatively poor island at the time, of course, because West of Ireland was, and this thing arrives and, and brought incredible salaries and capabilities and an amazing social life and um, tennis courts and cricket pitches. And, um, you know, Valencia, as was described to me last week, at that time had two hotels, it had a cinema, it had dance, two dance halls. You know, it was a, it was a happening place. Um, and because all oh, because of this business, but anyway, one of the things they did at the time, obviously, was what we now call CSR, Community Social Responsibility, and they went out and hired young men because because this was a, I mean, this, this was high tech, this was leading edge stuff at the time. So, and you had to be trained. So they so my grandfather, I think he was about thirteen. My great grandfather, sorry, he was about thirteen, and he joined the cable station, and um, and he went on then to. Uh, 
to help set up the Waterville station, which arrived some years later. So Waterville had, it, had built its own cable station. It was it was actually a competing business, um, as you imagine. The whole business took off, and you know there were there were there were alternative cables that were laid, and and so another business arrived into Waterville. Um, Siemens actually were involved in that one, I think. Uh, the, the Siemens the Siemens um, company they were they were they were the manufacturer of cable, um, and all different countries wanted to have their own cables as well. So the German cable, I think, came through came through uh, Waterville. But uh, my grandfather went there great grandfather sorry and then he ended up in Cork and he and he started a school in Cork and actually a little another little story of connectivity actually was uh, I'm sure Shay Wanch will mind me telling this one but um, a few years ago I met Shay who's the MD of, of BT in Ireland and I was telling him about the story and uh, about the cable and he said oh he said my grandfather was involved in the cable as well and and that evening he sent me a picture of a cutout from from an examiner Cork Examiner from about 1905 or something. And it was a cutout with his grandfather, uh, who was the star pupil in the school. And the paper cutting was cut out and sent to him, and it was signed by my great-grandfather. Timothy O'Sullivan. So my great grandfather thought Shay's grandfather wrote cable, um, and um, and here we both now work in technology. But uh, so so that's yeah that's the connection. So it's just been in my family for years. My mother um, always spoke about the story. Her her uh, all her aunts married cable men in Waterville and went off to live in the UK. Um, she used to she used to have the stories about the dances and the great social life that they had down there. And and as a young as as a young man, we were we were brought to carry on our holidays every every summer. And and we always had the trip over to Valencia. And and I, I remember it well. And I actually remember um, being over there and seeing the uh, the equipment through the window of the cable station and being fascinated by it as to what this thing was. So you know, forty years later, I had an opportunity to. Uh, to bring it back to life, yes, I'm loving it. It's an extraordinary place. Uh, apart from the cable station, you know, if you haven't been to Valencia, you got to go. It's uh, they have this incredible slate yard and slate quarry. That quarry, this beautiful blue slate, that's now been reopened again. They've got this amazing lighthouse up on the edge of the rock. They have these dinosaur tracks that were formed in the rock itself two, two hundred fifty billion years ago. You know, it's just an, an amazing place. Um, and so if you haven't gone, do go and do stay in the Royal Hotel with our good friend Vince Kidd down there. He's an absolute fabulous host um, and you'll have a great time. I'll be sure I'll show you. Well, you're really selling it. So yeah. if anybody listening involved in business would like to find out more, would like to maybe lend some support to this UNESCO bid, if that's possible, wh- where would you direct them to? Well, direct them to, they can, they can look at our website, which is valenciacable.com. Um, or they can they can get to me directly at info at valenciacable.com. Uh, they can get directly to me. Leonard Hobbs of the Valencia Transatlantic Cable Foundation, thank you very, very much for joining us here on the Ireland-Canada Connection today. Thanks, Patrick. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ireland-Canada Connection. If you would like to find out more about the Ireland-Canada Business Association and the work the association does to develop and promote connections between our two countries, please visit IrelandCanada.com. We'll be back soon with another episode and I hope you can join us then.